When I see that cross, I see freedom. And when I see that grave, I'll see Jesus, right? And that's what I'm looking forward to. I, I can't, I can't wait. Okay, Mip Grove, let's do this. And, and, and I, I want to start out our conversation this morning the way I usually do, by, by reading some alive and active God-breathed words, and, and then by praying us into the God's presence. In Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 18, and some of us are reading this, and our faith comes from hearing our preparing for Easter if you, if you don't have a read, Bible reader right now, I encourage you to do that. and Read these scriptures every day. It'll get you ready for Easter. Luke chapter 9, beginning at, at verse 18. One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. And, and let's pause there for a second. Because some of you really need to do that. You need to, you need to leave the crowds. Whoa, that's funny. voices and I'm like okay where are these voices coming from <laughs> who's got their phone on and listening to another message in here I mean it's so rude you at least go to the bathroom and sit in a stall or something it was my pocket I was hearing myself in my pocket that was freaking me out wow something always happens doesn't it wow I'm not well but Jesus is all right I'm going to start over because, uh, not totally over, but uh, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. And seriously, some of you need to do that. You need to leave the crowds, leave the noise, and get alone with Jesus. And listen, all of us need to do that a whole lot more. Pull away from the crowds and get alone with Jesus. Only his disciples were with him. And they asked him, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say that you're one of the other ancient prophets from the dead. And they asked them, but, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you're the Messiah sent from God. And Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. Why? Because it wasn't his time yet. And, and listen, once his identity thing was cleared up, and once they knew for sure who he was, and Jesus for the very first time tells them what their Messiah is about to do, and I guarantee that it blew their minds. It wasn't what they were expecting their coming Messiah to do. They're wanting a conquering hero, and he says, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He'll be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. How crazy, right? <laughs> Uh, the very guys who, like, went to church every Sunday, ne never missed a Bible school class. I mean, they had all their stickers, memorized all their verses, kept a flannel board in their bedroom, right, you know? And, and they're the ones who should have welcomed him, but they didn't. He'll be killed, and but on the third day he'll rise from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, and I just wonder, does anybody in this room want to be his follower. I, I mean, I, I hope that's why you're here this morning with an hour less sleep. And remember, the guy that we're following is the, is the same guy who in Luke 9 set his face towards uh, the, the Jerusalem, even though he was fully aware of what would happen when he got there. Death, brutal, painful. 
Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And I I think he's being pretty clear. I I mean, he's not leaving any room for doubt or interpretation. He's not leaving any room for wiggle. I, I understand if we want to be his disciple, we must, and in your notes, underline that, we must give up our own way. Circle that. We must take up our cross daily, circle that. And what does that mean? That means that every day we have to die to ourself. We have to die to what we want. We have to die to our desires. That means every day we have to die to ourselves at the workplace, at school, in our community, at home, in our relationships. And we must follow him and circle that. And following Jesus implies that we're going to the same place he is. Question, have you set your face towards following Jesus? Uh, No turning back. Seriously, really think about these three things. And and what what they would mean if they were actually lived out in your life. No, it's not not easy. (laughs) It's not an easy path. It's It's not a wide path. It is, matter of fact, it's a difficult in a very narrow path and few choose it because there are things that we want to do right there are ways that that we want to be that there are stuff that 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 we want to hold on to Jesus continues if you try to hang on to your life is that you you'll lose it but if you give up your life for my sake you will save it and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you yourself are lost or destroyed yeah, guys, I, I'm seeing it too, that, that this end of me stuff, it's, it's not only where a blessed life and real life begins, but this end of me stuff is actually not optional if we want to be a Jesus follower. Get it? Good. And, and so what we've been doing these last several weeks is looking at some of this upside-down teaching of Jesus, this counterintuitive way of living that helps us give up our own way, that that helps us take up our cross, that helps us follow Jesus, that helps us get to the end of me. And on the surface, these things don't make a whole lot of sense. They don't line up. Uh, These ways don't make sense. Ways like being poor in spirit where we acknowledge before God that that we are bankrupt, that we're broken, and we tell God, I can't. I can't. Can't do it, can't fix it, can't restore it, can't repair it, can't put the pieces back together again. Uh, ways like how sorrow and, and sadness and mourning are actually a, a pathway to joy. You see, it's in the tears that we shed over our loss, over our personal loss, over our sin, and over this lost world that we experience the presence and comfort of God in ways we'll never experience except through the shedding of tears. As Job said in Job 42.5, my ears have heard about you, but now my pain and my misery and difficulty, you came alongside of me, and now my eyes have seen you. Ways like being gentle and, and keeping our strength under control, which doesn't make sense, but yet Jesus says it's the gentle, it's the meek that actually win and inherit, inherit the earth. Ways like taking the me out of team, getting in the game, doing your part. 
living your life, not, not to be served, but to, to serve. Ways like stopping all the pretending and faking and spotlight performing, taking off our mask, getting real so that our public self and our private self are more closely aligned so our hearts will be pure and that we'll be able to see God. Ways like setting our default mode whenever we are hurt to grace, mercy, and forgiveness so that we can be free. Ways like hungering and thirsting after righteousness so that we'll finally be satisfied and get some satisfaction. And remember, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, it's, it's, a, it's a three-phase process. Uh, the, the first phase in the process is being right with God, and, and this is where we hunger and thirst to have the barrier of sin and separation between us and God removed by grace through faith. Are you hungry for that? Uh, the second phase is being right with God. And this is where we hunger and thirst to know God and have a personal relationship with him. It's where we're like that deer panning for streams of water in the desert, and we just have to have a drink of God. And, and the third phase is living right for God. And this is where we hunger and thirst to have God's love and grace flow out of us so that we can make the world a better place by being his salt and his light. Now understand, brothers and sisters, God's intent has always been to shape the lives of his people in such a way that they point the people, the broken, hurting, empty people of this world to the sweetness of being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. At Maple Grove, since January 21, God has been pouring out his awesome sauce all over us. I mean, it is dripping. And as Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, the woman was saying, how blessed Mary must have been that had you and nursed you. And Jesus said, ah, you know what? Even more blessed is the person who hears my words and puts them in the practice. Amen? Now this morning we're going to unpack Jesus' seventh beatitude in a, in a conversation that I'm calling uh, like father, like son. And, and i got to be honest, I really wanted to skip over this beatitude <laughs> because I wasn't sure that I was going to like what God was going to have to say. I, I told my life group, Last week I was going to do that, so I was kind of forced to preach on it because they would have said, yo, dude, you, you chickened out. So I went ahead and did it. And, and here's the beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. Father, we humbly come into your presence. We're not worthy of you, but your son and your blood and your grace makes us worthy. And God, all of us need you and every one of us, Lord, you want to speak to. And God, I know even though you've been speaking to me all week long, I know you're not done. And God, I pray that peacemakers will rise up in this place and that we'll be called sons of God because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now that's, a, that's made up of two Greek words. The word peace, which means exemption from rage and the havoc of war, Harmony between individuals, serenity, safety, peace of mind, fulfillment, safety, freedom from trouble, and from anything that would bring you 
discontentment, peace. The word to make means to cause, to produce, to render, to be the author of, to execute, and to bring forth. Understand, this word to make, it's a, it's a word bursting with energy. It, it mandates action and initiation. It describes someone who's willing to drag two combatants to the table and give them reasons why they should lay down their arms. And notice that Jesus did not say, blessed are the peace wishers, the peace hopers, the peace dreamers, the peace lovers, the peace talkers, or even the peace keepers. He said, blessed are the what? The peacemakers. I understand, peace must be made. Peace never happens by chance. Peace must be fought for, fought for hard, and fought for often. Bottom line, peacemaker, a peacemaker is never passive. And so they're always active, taking the initiative, entering the fray, jumping into the arena, sticking, sticking their neck out as they actively pursue peace. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. Now, for the rest of our time in the sermon, to make sure you're awake, I'm going to say the first part, and then you respond crisply, <laughs> crisply, with the second part. Blessed are the peacemakers. And you are so crisp this morning. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. And it should not come back, Amen. <laughs> And listen, the peacemaker pursues more than the absence of conflict. In fact, they don't avoid conflict. And sometimes peacemakers even create conflict. Why? Because they're not merely seeking to appease the warring parties or to accommodate everyone. I understand, peacemakers are not interested in fake Disney World painted on Mr. Rogers, won't you be my neighbor, peace. Where conflict still rages beneath the surface. And nothing has really been resolved. Instead, peacemakers are pursuing all the beauty and all the power and all the blessedness of God's kind of peace. A peace that is grounded in both truth and righteousness. And listen, without truth and without righteousness, we will never have God's kind of peace. Get it? Good. And so here's a a good working definition for a peacemaker. A peacemaker is someone who is actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another and who breathes truth and righteousness into conflict. Someone who's actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another and who breathes truth and righteousness into conflict. Understand, brothers and sisters, conflict, hatred, and division is everywhere in our world. Matter of fact, in the 3,000 plus years of recorded history, there's only been peace 8% of the time or 286 years. There's been 8,000 treaties that have been made and that have been broken. Conflict, hatred, and division, they're everywhere. They're in our country. They're in our communities. They're in our schools. They're in our workplace. They're in our homes. And yes, conflict, hatred, and division sometimes even is in our churches. And listen, it's into this conflict-infested, hate-filled, divided world 
that Jesus sends us out, his peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. (laughs) Yes. Uh Uh-oh. Nothing personal. Mr. Cameron? Okay, let's try that again. Blessed are the Wait a second, I totally <laughs> All right. You fail, I fail. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh wow. I'm a trained communicator. Okay. Blessed are the peacemakers. Amen. Now, I, I want to take a moment to talk about when the child becomes a son. Now, the word called means to be officially designated, like holding a particular rank or office, or when someone is named chairman of a company or captain of a team, or someone is designated as a spokesman. Jesus says that those who are peacemakers, those who are actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another and who breathe grace and truth into a conflict, he says that they'll be known and they'll be recognized for who they really are, the sons of God. Now, we might think at first glance that being a son of God is the same thing as being a child of God, but that's not the case. You see, a child of God is one who is part of the family, It's a statement of position. However, a son of God is one who is like the family, and it's a statement of of character. You see, a son of God not only carries the family name, but he bears the family resemblance and reputation. And let's dive into a little bit of this New Testament concept of sonship. You see, in the New Testament in that culture, to be a son meant that you had the same mind, the same beliefs, uh, the same values, and the same spirit of your father. And in fact, in that culture, if a, if a son was rebellious against everything the father believed, many times he would be disinherited. Where on the other hand, if a slave had the same values and beliefs and mind and spirit of the father, he would be adopted as a true son. Are you tracking with me? What Jesus is saying when he says that peacemakers will be called sons of God is that he's saying that they they look like the Father. He says they share the same values, the same belief, and the same mission as the Father. He's saying that that they have the same mind and the same spirit of the Father. In other words, when people look at them, when they see how they live, they see how they talk, see how they behave, and they see how they fight for peace, they're like, hey, hey, I know who you are. <laughs> you must be a son of God because you look just like your dad. You look just like your father. And just for fun this week, I went on Google and I looked for images of fathers and sons who look alike. And these pictures were taken of a father and son at the exact same age, right? Here's some. They're just kind of fun to look at, right? I think they look a lot alike. Like, I couldn't tell the difference. Here's another one. Oh, so cute, right? Okay, here's another one. All right, yep, like father, like son, oh, like father, like son, and I love this one right here, next one, like father, like son, <laughs> that's pretty good, 
You know, oftentimes we will threaten my son John by telling him, you know what, one time when you were little, you and your dad looked the same. <laughs> it's like, no, don't tell me that. <laughs> okay. Question. Do the people in your life recognize your resemblance to the Father based on your efforts at peacemaking? I understand you're a child of God because you accepted Christ, but you're a son of God because like the Father, you pursue peace. Question, are you actively seeking to reconcile people to God and, and to one another? Putting two neighbors back on speaking terms, helping to in, restore unity within a family, within a marriage, or making amends with a brother or sister? And are you recognized as assisting God in this peacemaking mission in this conflict-infested, hate-filled, divided world? I mean, like, would people look at you again and would they say, hey, I've been watching you. I've been watching the way you act, the way you behave. I've been watching the way that, that you fight for peace. And you look just like your dad. Because the father is all about peacemaking, right? I mean, since Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve took the bite of that forbidden fruit, the entire story has been about one thing, about God making peace. I understand for Genesis 3, to the moment in Luke when the skies filled with a multitude of angels proclaiming glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those in whom his favors rest. The story is all about God preparing his people for the coming of the Prince of Peace, the ultimate peacemaker. God the Son who jumped into the middle of this conflict-infested, hate-filled, divided, broken world and made peace happen. It wasn't easy, it wasn't neat, it wasn't clean. Understand, to make peace, Jesus suffered many terrible things. Betrayals, rejections, lies, arrests, beatings, and the cross. As he breathed truth and grace into the conflict. There are all kinds of verses I could read. I just want to read one. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Like, like Father, like Son. I don't know about you, but as I was working this message, I, I decided or decided that I, I simply do not want to be known as a child of God, as awesome as that is. I also want to be called a son of God. I, I, I want people to, to see the family resemblance. I, I want people to see the peacemaking Father in me. That's so far to go. It will take a daily death, but by the grace of God, I will get there. Anybody want to come along? Okay, now for the next point in your notes, the peace we must make. Blessed are the peacemakers... Because they will be called sons of God. 
Very good. Awesome, incredible we are. Uh, let's unpack the concept of peacemaking, right? Beautiful. That ain't my phone, is it? Find whose phone that is and slap them in the head. No, kidding. Slap their phone in What? What the heck is going on? Hey, it's not me. It's Memorex. No, okay. Okay, so let's unpack the concept of peacemaking so that we know what it is, right? So we know that what we must do so we'd be called sons of God. Before we go there, we need to talk briefly about what peacemaking is not because there's a lot of misconceptions out there. In fact, some of these misconceptions are why I didn't really want to be a peacemaker <laughs> and skip this beatitude. Uh, peacemaking is not the absence of conflict. Understand, peace in the Bible is never to be confused with pacifism, the absence of conflict. In fact, in many ways, it's the conflict and the struggle that actually brings about peace. Number two, peacemaking is not the avoidance of conflict. We are never instructed to run from conflict, to put our head in the sand, hoping that conflict will end and magically go away. Importantly, delaying what's inevitable. Conflict, if left by itself, usually like cancer, just grows and gets worse. Peacekeeping is not appeasement. I understand the peace at any price mentality is far from a biblical man and is far from biblical peace. Peacemaking is not accommodation. You see, the person who glosses over the problem saying, everything is all right when it's not, is not a peacemaker. Bottom line, to appease, accommodate, avoid, does not make us peacemakers, but rather it makes us peacekeepers. And there's a massive difference between the two. You see, peacekeepers want peace at any cost. Therefore, they often choose peace over truth. They often choose peace over what is right, over healthy and authentic relationships, which are often messy and ugly. Uh, basically, peacekeepers are, they see peace as simply the absence of any kind of argument or discord, which is why they will go to any length to avoid any kind of conflict, confrontation, or unrest. Okay, they, they stop shooting each other. Yeah, they still hate each other. <laughs> Yeah, they still want to destroy each other, but at least they're not shooting each other, so we have peace. No, you don't. Got nothing to say. I started it. Bottom line, peacekeepers tend to sweep issues under the carpet. Listen. And in doing so, they settle for a counterfeit pseudo-Disney World Mr. Rogers piece that is based on voiding what is real and what is true. They smile and make nice, but inner conflict still rages. Understand Maple Grove, God's peace, the peace of the Bible, never evades issues, and it knows nothing of peace at any price. A biblical peace does not gloss over, hide issues. It, it does not rationalize or excuse or accommodate wrong behavior and falsehood. Instead, it, it confronts problems head on and seeks to solve them. And after the problems are solved, they, it seeks to build bridges between those who are separated. 
That's what Jesus did for us. You know, I believe that one of the reasons why there's so much conflict still in our homes, in our lives, in our world, and even in our churches today is because we try to be peacekeepers rather than peacemakers. You see, we bind the lie, well, they can't handle the truth, right? The truth will hurt them, yeah, but it may also heal them. So we appease, we avoid, we accommodate rather than dealing with truth and what is right. Listen, this was most definitely not the way of Jesus, right? He's our model. He's the ultimate peacemaker. Here's what he said in, Luke, in Matthew chapter 10. Do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've, come to, I've not come to bring peace but a sword. Whoa. <laughs> a sword that cuts, a sword that divides, a sword that forces people to make a decision. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross daily and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. It, it, it kind of seems the opposite, right, of, of Matthew 5. But understand, the peace Jesus is encouraging reminds us that there will be opposition before there's harmony. There will be conflict before there's peace. Why? Because the peace of Christ must always be seen in terms of truth and righteousness to which the world is in fierce opposition. Are you tracking with me? Understand, when a believer brings truth to a world that loves falsehood, there'll be conflict. When a believer brings righteousness to a world that loves their sin and wrongdoing, there will be opposition. And when a believer brings a word of truth to a believer, another brother or sister who loves falsehood and who loves their sin and wrongdoing, there'll be conflict and there will be opposition. But listen, until unrighteousness, the wrong way, is changed to righteousness, the right way, until falsehood and lies are exchanged for truth, we will never have the peace that God desires. Okay, so peacekeeping is not an option. Instead, we're called to be peacemakers. And being a peacemaker is often difficult, it's costly, it's ugly. But it's the work we've been called to. And it's work that leads to real life. It's the work that leads to being called a son of God. Now, now there's four areas where God wants to make peace. Peacemakers make peace with God. That's the starting point, right? I mean, you can't be called a son of God until you're a child of God. Peace of God can't flow out of you until the peace of God is in you. Question, making peace with God, who sets the terms, God or us? God, I answer that for you. He sets the terms of surrender, not us, not me, not you, not anyone else. And he lays out the terms of surrender in his word, which at Maple Grove is our highest authority. 
And, and what are his terms of surrender? Now, before I read those terms, I want to give you a very simple and very important biblical principle for understanding the Bible. No verse can mean less than what it says, but it can mean more in light of other scripture, right? It's got to mean what it says, but other scripture can give it a fuller meaning. So here's God's terms of surrender. We must believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now the term of surrender is we must confess. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you, can, that you profess your faith and are saved. We must confess. We must repent and be baptized. First gospel sermon preached by Peter. Cut the hearers to the heart. He said, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice, none of those verses have everything in them, do they? But they got to mean what they say. And so have you surrendered to his terms? If you don't agree with my presentation of the terms, look it up. (laughs) Don't take my word for it. I could be lying to you. That's why we have a Bible. Now, there's one term of God's surrender that, for some reason, many people are slow to surrender to. The Apostle Paul was slow to surrender to it. That's why we, until a friend came up to him and said in Acts 22, 16, and what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away. If you're in this room today, I'm here to tell you a term of surrender according to the Bible is for you to be baptized in the name of Jesus If you've not done that, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I encourage you to do that and surrender to him. Next, peacemakers make peace with others. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, one of the best ways to live at peace with everyone is not to get in a fight to begin with, right? Sometimes our words and our actions, our tones and our attitudes our pride, our harshness, our defensiveness, our negativity, and simply being mean spirit just causes conflict. What we need to embrace is what I, I call the Ephesians 4, 1 and 2 principle. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you receive. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one, bearing with one another in love. Now, you, do you think that being, that being completely humble and gentle, being patient, and bearing with one another in love would prevent some conflicts? Raise your hand if you think that would help some. Would that, would that like, would that like, is that like some good advice from Paul? Like, Paul, like you really know what you're talking about. Good job, Paul. A, sneaking plus. Listen, although the truth will offend people, our attitude should not, right? If someone's going to be offended by what we say, let it be the truth and not our attitude, right? I haven't always done so good at that. But it's possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And here's what I know. Some of us need to pray about scheduling a peace-making meeting with someone. I'm not talking about appeasing. I'm not talking about accommodating. I'm not talking about avoiding. I'm not talking about burying the truth under the carpet. I'm not even talking about the real issue. I'm talking about peacemaking. 
getting real, across the table, embracing humility, gentleness, patience, and love. But the truth is, sometimes it's just not, you can do all you want, right? But God is saying, hey, if there's a rift between people who claim me, make sure you're not the cause of it. Make sure you did all you could. But sometimes all you could is all you can do, right? Third, peacemakers help others make peace with others. I can tell you something, sometimes we do the opposite, right? Instead of helping people, instead of helping people, instead of helping people come together, we stir the pot, right? We throw kerosene on the fire. Well, if I were you, I wouldn't allow myself to be treated like that. You deserve better. I think he's an idiot too. We're called to be a peacemaker, right? We're called to bring people together. Now, the New Testament, right? Paul would write a letter and they'd read it in the church. I can't imagine the first day that this was read in the church service for the first time. But these two ladies sitting out there, Udiah and Syntyche, they came in early, brought their muffins to Sunday school class, right? Looked all nice in their Sunday best. And all of a sudden, as someone's reading Paul's letter, they get to Philippians 4. Now I appeal to Udiah and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And then he says this to the church. And I ask you, my true partners, to help these two women. Don't just sit there. Don't just watch this conflict grow. Don't do that. Do something. For they work hard with me and telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are written in the book of life. Peacemakers help others make peace with others. And guess what? It's messy. It can get risky. You could get hurt. It could backfire on you. They may think you're meddling, but I tell you, it is so awesome. Whenever you played a part in helping two people come together and watching a relationship be restored, it is so worth the risk. And every victory is so worth every time that you have failed when you help people come back together again. Amen? 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 Amen. And finally, but certainly not least, peacemakers lead others to peace with God. That's why we're here, right? If anyone belongs to Christ, there's a new creation. The old has gone. Everything's made new. All this is from God through Christ. God made peace between us and him, and God gave us the work of telling everyone about the peace we can have with him. God was in Christ making peace between the world and himself. In Christ, God did not hold the world guilty of his sins. And he gave us this message of peace. So we have been sent to speak for Christ. It is as if God is calling to you through us. We speak for Christ when we beg you to be at peace with God. Christ had no sin, but God made him become sin so that in Christ we could be made right with God. Peacemakers help lead people to peace with God. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 10, the harvest is great. And there's only 200 million people back then. 
There's 7.8 billion people today. I contend if the harvest was great then, it's a whole lot greater now. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. How sad. How sad for God. How, how, how sad for the lost. How sad for us. How sad for us. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. Understand, we help people make peace with God. We are sons of God. Like Father, like Son. Lord, give me one person that I can share your love with today. Let's pray for one. And I know, we can stick a banner on the wall, don't mean a thing. We can create an awesome pray for one thing out there, don't mean a thing. Looks good, covers up holes or whatever. But who's your one? Who's my one? I mean, who right now is lost that's going to be in heaven because you say, I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm going to help them find the Lord. I'm going to help them have a new forever, Right? So like Andy Yost knows, right? Yeah. Someone helped him make peace with God, and he's rocking it out. Man, he's having a blast. He's where he always wanted to be. And there's people who need that same message. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who make peace with God. Blessed are those who make peace with others. Blessed are those who help others make peace with others. And blessed are those who lead others to make peace with God, for they will be called sons of God, like father, like son. Now, Telemachus was a, he was a monk in the, in the fourth century, and he felt led by God to go to Rome, and so he put his stuff in a, in a backpack, and he headed to Rome. When he arrived in Rome, the city was crazy with activity. A huge, excited crowd was going somewhere. He, uh, Telemachus didn't know where they were going, but he got caught up in the crowd. He was getting excited too. Where are they going? He found, he found himself in the Roman Colosseum with 80,000 other people. And, and he saw, he asked them, hey, what's going on? He says, well, the Romans just defeated the Gauls, and their emperor has decided to have a, a circus so the crowd could have a great celebration. He looks over and he sees high up there, he sees the emperor, he couldn't miss the emperor in his seat. And he couldn't miss the, the gladiators who were right below the emperor. And the gladiators came for the emperor and they said, you know, that famous traditional line, they said, we who are about to die salute you. And all of a sudden, Telemachus knew what was going on. He had heard about this and the church spoke out against this, but a lot of people thought it was just a legend. Now he knew the thing was for real. And before he knew it, the bloody battle started happening. And what was worse, he looked at the crowd who was just caught up in this frenzy. He's appalled. And so he says in his seat, he says, in the name of Jesus, stop. In the name of Jesus, stop. And he couldn't hear him. And Almost without thinking, he hops over the wall and he jumps into the arena where the gladiators are. And at first they see him and they stop. And, but then 
they begin to think, hey, is he here for comic relief or whatever? And they start taking swings at him with the sword. And he's running around, the crowd's laughing, and finally they hear what he's saying. In the name of Jesus, stop. In the name of Jesus, stop. And he cries out louder and louder and louder, and the gladiators approach, and they begin this, they, they begin to the charge and attack, and there's a bunch of dust, and when the dust clears, there is Tella. Magus, with a sword in his belly, bleeding out on the ground. And it said that you could still hear his words echoing in the Colosseum. In the name of Jesus, stop. After what seemed like eternity, one guy got up and left silently. Then another, and another, until all 80,000 filed out of the arena. Finally, the emperor, after seeing the crowd left, he left with his guests, and eventually the gladiators, they dropped down their weapons, and they left, and all that was left was this young monk laying in the middle of the Colosseum. And tradition says that the emperor went back that day, and because of that image, because of the frenzy of the crowd, because of what he'd seen, he issued an edict that very day to stop all fighting, that there'd be no more gladiator fights in the Colosseum. There'll be no more killing for sport. No more of this kind of violence. All because someone decided to jump into the fray and say, in the name of Jesus, stop. In the name of Jesus, stop. In the name of Jesus, stop. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we humbly come into your presence and we celebrate Jesus, the ultimate peacemaker. And Father, I pray that you search our hearts. If anyone in this room, Lord, is in conflict with you, there's a rift between them and the God that loved them, created them, died for them, and wants to spend forever with them. God, I pray that they will surrender to your terms, that they'll repent, God, and turn to you. And God, I pray we just search our hearts, Lord. Is, is there some peace we need to make? Is there, is there a, a conflict you're calling us to jump into the middle of to try to make right? Is there somebody at work or at home, at school, in the neighborhood, somebody we know, even in our own family, Lord, that needs to be made right with you? God, I pray that we will just cry out to this world, to all this conflict between you and people, and between people and people, in the name of Jesus, stop. Amen.